When Holly's son was considering suicide, she called a Focus on the Family counselor. All those years I'd been listening to Focus, I was thinking about how they were like that practical guide for me. That was sound advice I could get from them. I didn't really know where else to turn. I'm Jim Daly. Together we can rescue hurting parents like Holly and give families hope. Donate today at focusonthefamily.ca slash give. Dr. Lee Warren describes the intensive care unit as a place where desperation and hope slug it out to see who the champion will be. He says that beeping monitors, hissing ventilators, and humming IV pumps push their notes into the air, mingling with the stale hints of iodine and bodily fluids and waning faith. And today on Focus on the Family, you'll hear about Dr. Warren's own personal struggles with God through many trials. But he's got hope for you to endure through your trials. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, what a beautiful quote of what uh, Dr. Warren faces every day in Mm -hmm. treating his patients. Uh, Dr. Warren has operated on seriously wounded soldiers in Iraq uh, and then continued his practice here, but certainly brain injuries from those accidents, others with deadly tumors, and he's also experienced trauma in his personal life as well, and we're going to cover Uh, his great new book, I've Seen the End of You. Uh, He's already faced more life and death situations than most of us will in Mm -hmm. a lifetime, but God has given him the strength to do it, but also the insights that I think all of us are going to glean about what this fragile life is all about. Yeah, this is a really, uh, I think, deep conversation about the the essence of of life and death. And Dr. Warren is a brain surgeon, uh, an Iraq war veteran, as you indicated, Jim. And as you said, he's written this book, I've Seen the End of You, a neurosurgeon's look at faith, doubt, and the things we think we know. And we'll encourage you to get a copy from us at focusonthefamily.ca or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. Uh, Dr. Warren, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thank you. I'm so uh, grateful. Lisa and I are both so grateful to be here with you today. Let me ask you, uh, kicking this off, this is uh, really interesting content, um, and we're going to get into it. You were raised in a Christian home. Uh, Your parents gave you that foundation of faith, but you had a relationship with a friend, I think, in elementary school that kind of shook and shaped your world. What happened? Yes, yeah, so I, I don't think I realized it until later, but um, in uh, third and fourth grade, had a young girl that was I had sort of had a crush on. Uh, I called her Annie in the book. And you were in fourth uh, grade, four, third and fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. for you. And so I actually had my first fist fight over her, uh, <laughs> which I won't tell you if I won or not, but. It's my book, so um, <laughs> get the book for more. But so she, she at the end of one school year, uh, I, I just had this vivid memory of her driving off in the bus and you know, waving goodbye, and you know my hopes were flying, you know, for seeing her next year. And then later that summer, my mom told me that she was sick and she might not be back at school. Um, and it turned out she had a, a pediatric brain tumor. And I remember late in the school year, she came back to class and, and just looked like a different person. She didn't have her personality. She was sort of swollen from what I know now was you know steroids and medication and radiation treatment and all of that. She sure. had a wig on mm-hmm. and just wasn't the same little kid. Um, yeah. And then she died later that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as I as I grew up and became a doctor and looked back on all that, it, it just dawned on me at some point that my interest in neurosurgery probably started around that time when when um, 
a little kid can be taken away from you by something happening in their brain. Yeah. Uh, and I remember the talks I had with my mom uh, and how afraid I was that, you know, for the first time, somebody my age could be sick. And I didn't know that at that time, that somebody my age could die. And uh, I remember how mom always told me that, you know, faith would get me through those things and, and calm my fears. And and so I think that was probably a foundational moment for me in, in becoming a physician and maybe even a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Let's move to your service. Thank you, by the way, for serving in the military. Thank and you. at the same time, I mean, you saw such trauma because you saw all of the back end of warfare, those men and perhaps even some women who were injured from their service and uh, describe that for those of us who will never be in that environment um one of the most surprising things for me um obviously growing up in the united states and practicing in the united states we have endless limitless resources right so here we are in a tent hospital in the middle of the war and we didn't have those resources um and so we had to think about every drop of blood and every tool that we used and all those things differently than we do back here. Um, but also we took care of civilians and we took care of the enemy and, and we took care of injured insurgents. So when, a, when a, uh, an Iraqi insurgent gets injured on the battlefield, American medics fly them to hospitals and take care of them. That's too. amazing. Yeah. And most people probably don't know that. So um, our American Medical Corps takes care of everybody that gets hurt. And so for me, it was uh, an eye-opening experience of taking care of somebody who had done this bad thing and blown up all of our soldiers that we were also trying to save and having to learn about mercy and not just about justice and, mm-hmm. and all those things. It was uh, it really solidified me as a trauma surgeon and as a, as a human being, I think, to have that experience. And even there in, in your barracks in that area where you operated, you had shelling and things that were going on. I mean, it was close to the action. Yeah, we were mortared every single day that I was in theater for 120 days. We, we took mortars. Every day? Every day, yeah. You specialize in brain tumors, GBM, I believe, is the yep. acronym. And let's just let the listeners hear what that is and what you tend to face with your patients every day. So there's a brain tumor called glioblastoma multiform that we shorten, thankfully, to GBM. It's easier to say. And it turns out to be the deadliest, really the deadliest form of human cancer. And the problem with glioblastoma is you really can't cure it. And it's like the whole brain just decides to become cancer. Mm. And so for the last 40 years or so, the survival rate really hasn't changed. It's about 15 months if you have that diagnosis. And we take the tumor out and give you radiation chemotherapy. You have about 12 to 15 months uh, almost all the time. The five-year survival rate is very close to zero. And the 10-year survival rate essentially is zero. There's an old sort of joke that if you have a 10-year survivor, you probably misdiagnose them. And so um, I had this experience as a as a Christian who was also a scientist where I would see a scan. Really, before I ever met you as a patient, I would look at your images and see that brain tumor, and I would say to myself, I've seen the end of you. I know what's going to happen to you. Say that again because this was profound. Mm-hmm. I'll see I, the end of you. I, I just could see it in my mind like it was a movie playing out. I've, I've seen the end. I know what's going to happen. I know what the biopsy is going to look like. I know the conversation we're about to have. I know what the pathologist is going to tell me. I know when you're when you're going to get chemo, when you're going to get sick, when your hair's going to fall out, when you'll stop eating. I know when it's going to come back, and I know when you're going to die. And I can see it in my mind like it's true already. Yeah. And so – I struggled then because I also know that as a doctor, you are better serving your patients if you give them hope and if you help them maintain hope because you have a higher, much higher quality of life and you go through everything better and you even have a better outcome 
in every way we can measure it if you maintain hope. And so here I have a situation where I don't have hope for you. And the Bible tells me God can cure you, and I don't really believe it because he never does it with this tumor. And so I'm supposed to sit down and try to doctor you even if I can't cure you, and what do I do? And that, that's really the question I was struggling with as a physician when I decided to write this book. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's such on point. And I'm sure you hear from Christians who may be critical of you saying, well, God can work miracles, and you need to trust in God. And you're a Christian, Lee. And h- how did that begin to synthesize? And I, I understand it. I mean, you're the hard scientist, uh, but a man of faith. Right. So these worlds were colliding. I can only imagine the conflict in you. They were. And, I, you know, I, I started having to do what scientists do, decided to study people and how they handle hard things and how they manage to to get through them or not get through them. And I started noticing that the, the common theme of people who do well, even if they die, seems to be that they find something to hope for. And oftentimes that was the resurrection and, and the afterlife and, and all the things that Jesus offers us. Um, and I started to understand what Jesus means in John 16 when he says, I'd come and give you life even though you die. And if you believe in me, you'll have life and will never die. And so I started seeing people who could find that in the darkest moments, and it gave them something to hold on to. And they had a better outcome even if they died from their tumor. And I decided what makes sense for me is to doctor people with things that will help them, even if I can't fix their problem. Yeah. And I would think, uh, you know, being a man of faith and a scientist, the reality is this life is just this moment. That's right. For us. I mean, there's something eternal ahead. But we cling to this as if this is it, right? That's right. And that's why we have fear and we have doubt and we maybe have hopelessness. That's right. And that's the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) That there's something beyond this. That's right. This isn't it. Let me ask you, uh, just to get some of the stories of your patients out of your wonderful book, I've Seen the End of You, you talk about uh, a patient that you called Samuel. And what was his story with GBM and what did you see? So Samuel is the guy that, that is the typical patient with glioblastoma. He's a good guy. He does it all right. He's got a strong family. He goes to church. It always seems like cancer hits those guys, right, um, the, the the nice guy. Um, and he's driving to work one day and has a seizure on his birthday, wrecks his car, or almost wrecks his car, and finds out that he's got a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come to meet him and take him to surgery, and it turns out to be a glioblastoma. And, and he just exemplifies this solid belief in, in walking out faith in Jesus Christ where he never wavered. Like, he's sad. He's stressed because he doesn't want to lose his wife. He doesn't want to leave his wife and his little kids. But he never gives up hope. And he's just this beautiful example of what it means to really walk out your faith in Jesus Christ. So that conundrum is bad things do happen to good people, and good things do happen to bad people. And, you know, the rain, the rain falls on all of us. That's right. And so it's just a filter problem that we have. We, 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 we pick out the ones we want to be sad about. We, we don't pay attention to the other ones, but, but, but everybody has trouble. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. These days it seems like I'm constantly trying to protect my kids from whatever's on TV or online. 
Thankfully, there are still some great resources out there, like the Adventures in Odyssey Club. The kids absolutely love their award-winning Adventures in Odyssey audio dramas, which bring biblical principles to life with just the right balance of fun, faith, and imagination. And now you can enjoy them, too, through a two-week free trial. The Adventures in Odyssey Club. Faith-filled, kid-approved, endless fun. Sign up today at aioclub.org radio. Looking for advice on how to stay sane while you parent your children? Or some great laughs and heartfelt stories about how God works in the family? Focus on the Family invites you to join listeners from across the country as they tune into the daily broadcast with Jim Daly and John Fuller. Get the free app for your Apple, Android, or Windows mobile device and receive inspirational, godly encouragement when you need it most. Get the free app today at focusonthefamily.ca slash mobile or visit your Apple, Google, or Windows app store. Geeks Insurance would like to remind our listeners that they have preferred rates for members of faith-based organizations. Deeks has been a licensed insurance brokerage since 1981, proudly serving the evangelical Christian community with preferred home and auto insurance rates. Having started as a family business, Deeks understands that being part of something really matters. Your church might in fact be a part of the larger Deeks family. Find out by visiting deeksinsurance.ca. Deeks Insurance, where family matters. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Dr. Warren, you mentioned Joey, a patient, a moment ago. I do want to hear his story. What What was Joey about? Uh, what did he show you? Joey might be the favorite person that Lisa and I, at least Lisa ran our office, that we ever took care of. Uh, Joey's this guy, typical. Um, when you meet him, he's a criminal. He's, you know, he, he was fighting a DEA agent, got hit in the head and knocked out, skull fracture, bled in his brain, and I have to take him to the operating room, and in the midst of the blood clot, there's a brain tumor that he didn't know he had. And so that seems like a fortuitous thing for him because he, had he not had the head injury from being a bad person, right, being in a fight with a cop, he wouldn't have known he had this benign tumor until it became a cancer, most likely. Huh. So it could have saved his life, right? Um and I give him this news that to me felt like good news. Hey, we found this early stage brain tumor and took it out. So you're going to be okay, most likely. And he's still mad about it. And it turns out Joey's had a bad life. His parents have, one of his parents died. The other abandoned him. He's been in jail. He's had all kinds of hard times with drugs. And, and he's just had a really rough life. And he doesn't see anything good out of anything. For him, it's just another example of God hates him or maybe God's not even real. And, and, um, the course of taking care of Joey, um, he had a, a grandmother and a sister who never gave up on him and a chaplain who befriended him. And, and ultimately, even though his cancer came back, and I don't want to give the whole story away. I want people to read the book. But, <laughs> no, but, you got to tell us. But, but basically, the, the last year of Joey's life in which his tumor came back, he lost his strength, and he ultimately passed away. He described that as the best year of his life, and the reason was hmm. he fell in love, he found Jesus, he found hope, he believed he was going to get to see his grandma again when he went to heaven, hmm. um, reconciled with his sister, you know, made amends for a lot of the things that he'd wow. been through, and he found the purpose and meaning of his life and found happiness even while he was dying. And so it just exemplified the idea that your life is not about the number of your days. It's about the quality of your days. It's about what you do with them and how you feel during them. And he was able to show me 
how to separate circumstance from emotion. And that's that turns out to be the key for how you find happiness and hope no matter what you're going through. Mm. Let me ask you, in the book, you specifically talk about that dilemma. You've touched on it. But to be more specific, uh, you would say y- you would see the end of your patient and know what lied ahead for them. And it, it kind of um, put a contradiction in how to pray for your patients. I mean, it did. Describe that. I can feel it, but uh, well, help us. I, so I used to think that prayer was about telling God what you wanted and he either said yes or no, and, and the more sort of the score of how many yeses and how many noes was a measure of how much he loved you, right? I sort of thought that, and mm-hmm. um, and I really learned it from Pastor John. Like, prayer is not about bending God's will to yours. It's bending your will to his. Mm-hmm. And so as I evolved through learning how to take care of these people who were going to die no matter what I did, um, I learned that helping them come to peace with it, helping them find a new way to look at the rest of the days that they had, uh, a new way to make sure that their families were okay, that their marriages were okay, that their legacy with their kids were okay, was teaching them how to pray a prayer of asking God to fill them with hope, to fill them with a new way to, to see the things they were going through. And so I was learning how to doctor people when I couldn't save them. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's then you don't have that sense of futility, I would think. That's right. That, you know, this it gives you power. Right. And there's, there is hope at the end of this. Um, after <clears throat> Samuel died, one of your patients, there was a chaplain friend of yours who gave you some great spiritual insight and advice. I think all of us will benefit from that. What did that chaplain say to you? Well, so Pastor John, I called him in the book, um, just basically helped me understand that somebody dying isn't the end of their story like you when you look at the overall number of promises in the bible all of them point to hope for a future resurrection right and and it can be hard to see truth in those promises when you read one like romans eight twenty eight, and it says that god can work everything for good you say how can he work samuel dying and leaving behind two little kids for good how can that be um and he'll say something to me like well now you're going to for the rest of your life, you're going to doctor people better. You're going to help people see and find hope in the darkest moments of their lives in a better way. And that'll turn out to be good. That'll turn out to be a good part of Samuel's legacy down the road. Mm. And so the chaplain really just helps me to help me to reorient my thinking away from loss means God doesn't care. Death means God isn't paying attention or doesn't, doesn't want to hear your prayers. And actually, God's always always doing the thing that's good for us in the end. And it's not about how long you live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard somebody say it this way, God is always in your corner. Yes, he is. It, although your circumstances, again, may not may not make you feel that way. Yeah, that's but right. he is there in them. And we're yeah. learning things through them, right? Yep. Um, some people might be thinking, okay, well, Dr. Warren's a neurosurgeon. Uh, even though he went to the war, you know, he's above the fray of life. But you have had it. Like right in the bullseye, you lost your son. Describe those circumstances, what was going on, and uh, what happened to your boy. So Mitchell was this beautiful kid, um, brilliant, witty, fun, loved Jesus. Um, But like many teenagers, he had a couple rough years and and got kind of confused about some things. And and we were, as he went off to college, a couple of years where – we weren't as close as we had been, and he was trying to figure out his own way. And um, 
in uh, July of 2013, um, he started calling more, and we were starting to feel a little bit more hopeful. And then um, our church does this 20. Our church in Alabama did this 21 days of prayer event every start of every school year, where you really focused in and prayed for the kids and prayed for your family and all those things. And and uh, on the morning of August 19th. Um, my phone rang and Mitch called and he and we had this long talk the longest one we'd had in forever and he said dad I want to come home I want to get back in school and I realized you know where I need to be and what's going on I had this great hope and and uh, he said he loved me and I said I loved him and it was the last words we ever spoke to each other and on the morning of August 20th the prayer that morning was from the youth pastor at the church about praying for your kids and how God was going to give you victory in your in your child's lives and so we were just filled with this immense hope and and uh, later that day yeah, he was stabbed to death um, and uh, and died, and so we we were sort of taken from this place where we thought it was all going to be okay, and we've been praying so hard for so long, uh, and it seemed like God was answering our prayers, and then He was gone, and it was just this huge chasm of, mm-hmm. of why would something? You know, it's one thing if if you didn't think it was going to be okay, and something like that happened, but it was worse for us, I think, because we had so much hope, right? So right. we felt like God played a trick on us, um, mm-hmm. and and so. I really, for a little bit, um, wasn't sure what I believed anymore, and um, just wasn't sure that God could really let something like that happen and and be who he said he was. I mean, that's powerful. And, um, you know, my brother has had that experience. He lost his son to cancer when he was young. And, uh, you know, I said to him, is there a day that goes by you don't think of Bobby? And he said, no, every day. Mm -hmm. And I think people, again, you would think, given the uh, processing that you were doing, trying to figure out, Lord, these patients are dying. I don't know how to pray for them. Um, I'm a scientist. I mean, I could see that in you. You're very logical in your thinking. And then to have this happen, which turns everything upside down, the things you thought you knew, the things you thought you were resolving with God. We're right back in your face. Did you have that moment? I mean, I tend to be more of an emotional person this way, where I'd be saying, Lord, what are you doing? Why this? Did you have that kind of moment? I did. Of course I did. Um, And I think Lisa and I and all bereaved parents, I think you you couldn't be truthful if you said you didn't doubt God in some of those moments. And I started going back to what I knew, which was reading the Bible every morning, having a process that I follow through, and I would read something and I wouldn't believe it at the same time. And I started feeling like that guy in Mark that comes to Jesus and says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, Mm. right? But somehow I knew that if there wasn't a resurrection, if the promise for the resurrection wasn't true, then I didn't have anything to hope for. Because the idea that I could see my son again someday was enough for me to be able to put my pants on the next day and and try to go you know make a cup of coffee and make that day happen and one by one every day some little bit of grace would happen somebody would call at just the right time or the verse of the day on bible gateway would pop up and it would say the lord is close to the brokenhearted psalm mm-hmm. 3418 yes. or it would say something like that and that verse where paul says if we don't have the hope for the resurrection then we're to be pitied more than all men and i would say mm-hmm. yeah that's right i could see that and so i I had this one moment, crystal clear moment I can see in my mind where I saw the promise that God says that all Scripture is true, another one that says it's impossible for God to lie. And so if those two things are true, then the hope of the resurrection has to be true too. 
and therefore all those other promises have to be true. And I just decided, Lisa and I sat down one day, and we decided that we believed that. Mm. And we were going to start just pressing into it. And every day something happened, somebody called, some, something occurred, and it had just enough mana, just enough right. power to get through that day. And over as the days went by, it got better. It didn't go away like your brother with Bobby. It, it doesn't go away. But you start the, – the, the light starts coming back on because you believe it's true. And then it starts showing you that it's true. Right. And that's what happened for us. Well, and I hope that's the hope that people are hearing right now. Mm-hmm. Let me end here because this is the question. I mean, when you look at all this, what word of encouragement do you have for the people listening right now that are going through so much? They might have the prodigal child. They might have the tumor. They might have some other diagnosis that brings mortality right into focus for them. And maybe they haven't done the right thing, said the right things. Uh, Perhaps they're not drug dealers, but maybe they haven't lived up to their spiritual potential in Christ. What advice do you have for that person that's devastated and hasn't found the rails to run on? Well, I would say this. It it doesn't matter what you do for a living or how much money you make or how much influence or power or status you have in, in this life because if your kid dies or if you find out you have a brain tumor you're the same as everybody else in that moment you're a broken human being and the height from which you fall if your life is built on all those things on the the need to have good circumstances or the need to have a high income or the need to have status or whatever then when you lose those things because your body doesn't work anymore or because you can't find your way to get to work because your child died and you can't put your pants on that day you lose everything so what i would say to people is those aren't the things that should define your life because they can be taken from you the thing that should define your life is the fact that somebody loved you enough to die for you and that their real hope of your life is in is in what jesus said would make your joy complete which is to trust in him because when those hard moments happen you will find that it's true that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And you will find that it's true someday that God can work things for good. Because he did for us. I started writing and blogging and podcasting in 2014 as a way to communicate with my family. And that began to be shared around the world and all of that. And my blog and podcast and stuff started becoming something we would hear from other people about. And in the years since we lost Mitch, two different people have written to me and said they didn't commit suicide because of something I wrote or said on my podcast. Mm, And so it's not a good – this is one of those quantum physics things where something can be true and not true at the same time. That's a whole other story. But but God is capable of taking something bad and having something good come from it at the same time. It's not good that my son Mitch died or that your brother's son Bobby died, but it is good that we can press on and help other people and and show them the light again. And and it's good that I write because people have been saved by that. Right. So so friend out there listening, your hope cannot be on things that can that you can lose or that can be taken from you. Mm -hmm. Your hope has to be in something that's beyond what you can see right now and that's Jesus. And something you said that caught me, we're all broken people. That's mm-hmm. the reality of this life. No one's going to live forever. Everybody's right. going to hit that uh, pit in the road, even if things are sailing al- along right now, mm-hmm. which makes that verse that you've uh, mentioned a couple of times so true, that he's close to the brokenhearted. And I love the next yeah. part, and saves those crushed in, in spirit. spirit. That's right. And that might be the whole purpose of what we walk through in this temporal life mm-hmm. so That's that we right. can have 
eternal life with him. That's right. Man, Dr. Warren, this has been fantastic. Thank I so you. appreciate the fact that you labored through the pain. Thank you. Emotional pain to write this book. I've seen the end of you. A neurosurgeon's look at faith, doubt, and the things we think we know. Um, beautifully done Thank and you. so full of great content to make mm-hmm. us think about what this life is truly about. It's been a privilege to have you here with us. It's been an honor to be with you guys. Thank mm-hmm. you. And Focus on the Family is here to help if you're grappling with these weighty issues. If you're finding yourself in a very dark spot and don't know where to turn, perhaps you're not plugged into a church where you can talk to somebody on the staff there or don't have any Christian friends, give us a call. Uh, Focus on the Family has caring Christian counselors. We'll be really happy to connect you with one of them. They can talk through where you're at and give you some next steps toward finding healing and finding light and hope. Uh, We also have Dr. Warren's book, as Jim mentioned, I've Seen the End of You. Uh, Let us know if we can send that to you. Um, Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here at Focus on the Family, thanks for joining us today and plan to be with us next time as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.